Stay tuned for The Lynn Show. Today, I'm rebroadcasting parts of an interview I did with dancer, choreographer, Tony-nominated director of musicals, Jeff Calhoun, who is not only talented and successful, but charming and funny and interesting and self-deprecating. Listen to the ironic story of how he went from a self-described tall, skinny, white kid who just loved to dance to becoming the Tony-nominated director of Broadway musicals. And listen to him talk about his collaboration with the remarkable Noah Racy on what he calls the tap dancing version of Music Man at the Oslo. It's an interesting, interesting interview. So hang on, here come the show. Hearing from an inner voice, finding choice where there's no choice, with gentle prodding from the voice, oh, you really can. Thundering, thundering all along the way 
double bell euphoniums and big bassoons each bassoon having his big fat say there were 50 mounted cannon in the battery thundering thundering louder than before clarinets of every size and trumpeters would improvise a full octave higher than the score Hello, and welcome to The Lynn Show. It probably will not come as a surprise to you that the music that opened this show was a music from The Music Man. And I will be playing other cuts from the cast album of Music Man during the show as a taste of what you can expect when you come out to the Oslo and see Noah Racy in Jeff Calhoun's tap dancing music man. The Lynn Show is about being the person you really are, not the person that other people are, not the person that you think you have to be, not the person someone told you you had to be or maybe even told you you were, not even the person you currently think you are, but the person that you really are. Unfortunately, too many people have experiences in their childhoods which discourage them from being who they really are, discourage them from demonstrating a talent or an interest or a curiosity. And many people learn to pretend that these things which brought a consequence they didn't want actually aren't so. They don't have this interest, they don't have this talent, they don't do that thing. And so they come into adulthood forgetting some really essential things about themselves. In my shows, I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. And I do this because when you listen to them, you can hear what it sounds like to be who you really are. And the interview I'm airing today with Jeff Calhoun is an example of someone who knew at eight or nine what he wanted to do with his life, who he was. And he's one of the lucky ones. Instead of discouraging him, his parents encouraged and supported all of his interests. And the result is that he's doing what he was meant to do. And when you listen to him, you can hear what it sounds like to be the person you really are. And so now, here he is, the real Jeff Calhoun. I am here with Jeff Calhoun. I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. Does that describe you, do you think? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought I could do it, but yes, it does describe me. Yeah, it's clear. So, okay, so I always ask the same question, and that is, how did it happen? How did it get started? What was the very beginning, the first inkling that the, the art, which, and come to think of it, is the art theater? Is the art dance? Is the art directing? What is the art that you would say you mostly give your life to? For me, well, it's a different thing. Uh, the inkling was being a kid and watching the Carol Burnett show and the Ernie Flat Dancers mm. would be on every week. And I would How say to my... How old were you? Oh, wow. You know, nine? Mm-hmm. 
eight, nine, and I would say to my parents, I want to do that. How can I do what they do? Mm-hmm. And my mom said, well, you can go to, you know, dance class. My father was like, you don't want to go to dance class. Oh, really? I said, well, I want to do what they do. I want to be an Ernie Flat dancer. So that was really the spark, was that. Okay, now, no, wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait, wait. So it was okay with your mother? She didn't have any uh, boys don't dance? Not but at your all. father had a little boys don't dance? Yeah, I think initially. Yeah. Yeah, initially. The, the sort of need to... I don't think you encourage it. You'd, right, right. You know, right. my parents have always supported me, but I don't think... Uh, it, that was his first choice. He didn't say, I gee, what I wanted to dance. That's right. When right. he knew it was a passion, he supported it 100%. Good for him. But uh, just my flip answer of I wanted to dance like that, I'm sure he wanted to be sure it was a real, you know, passion. But that's a very sweet thing to say. Yeah. You know, that's a very sweet thing to say about a parent. A lot of parents wouldn't have been able to do that. No, my parents have been um, supportive of everything that I've ever done. Uh, This business, it's so hard making a living as an artist that, um, and I have a lot of friends that aren't as fortunate as I with their uh, good family background, Mm -hmm. that I don't know how I would do it without that support. No, I think it's really so difficult. It helps. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true, and I'd like to talk more about that. But, so, you're watching this, and your mother says, so do you you take dance lessons? Is that what happens? That's exactly right. So she looked up and found a dance studio, and she started taking me to dance class. And, uh, but also watching, you know, Dick Van Dyke Mm -hmm. on television. Who, whose every move is a dance. Yeah, he, you know, at the start of da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
Yeah, that's exactly what she said, actually. Yeah. <laughs> there was a song in Heidi where I was supposed to go, Hear the mountains calling you, Heidi, Heidi, but I couldn't go calling you. It was too high for me. So she made me go, Hear the mountains calling you, Heidi, Heidi. <laughs> but anyway, so I was at all those shows. And um, yeah, I was a tap dancer at that point. I'd been studying for years. And, uh, you know, boys, at that age, I think it's hard to get boys interested in being in shows. So mm -hmm. when anyone wants to, I think they just take you. Right. They're Whether tickled you're talented to talented or not. Right, right. Yeah. And so... Uh, but you were. I, you know, I just did community theater to children's theater. Then I jumped up from the children's theater to the adult community theater. And mind you, in school, I would do all the musicals in school. Mm -hmm. Even when I was in junior high, I was in the high school musicals. Okay, so now you're acting too, are you not? Well, well you're, uh, you're so it depends who you ask. <laughs> well, you know what I, I mean, I mean, I'm a role. That's yeah, right, I have right, lines. Right, 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 right. I look back and I was just a terrible actor. Um, I was a terrible actor. But you must have been a great dancer. <laughs> I was a good dancer, but I was so enthusiastic about it. You loved Audience it. Audience always talked about, yes, how excited I seemed to be there. Yeah. And that's what got me through. You know, I had a good sense of humor, and I was a good tap dancer, but other than that, I just enjoyed being there. Mm -hmm. But it was clear to me that, you know, directing was really the direction I wanted to go. When did you discover that? Well, in high school, I don't know how this happened, but I got the school board to give me English credit if I did an all-student production of Godspell. So there were no adults involved, and that was my English credit my senior year. And it was, I directed it and choreographed it, and, um... So, you haven't, nobody has shown you how to do this, you haven't studied it, you well, just had so much experience. Actually, that was my senior year. Mm -hmm. Prior to my senior year, two years before my senior year, when I was 16 years old, I got a job dancing with Ann Miller in Anything Goes at the Kenley Players. Wow. My dance teacher was choreographer for the Kenley Players. The Kenley Players is a great summer stock circuit in Ohio. Mm -hmm. So I was 16 and in professional theater. That's when I got my equity card. So I was watching wow. pros direct and pros choreograph. So I was really learning a lot. Right, right, right. So then when I went back to school, I was eager to put that to use yeah. and direct my own show. And yeah. Yeah. And so you were, you were directing by the time you were a high school senior. Yeah, that's right. Pretty amazing. Yeah, really. It is amazing. Very lucky. I have a very blessed sort of, uh, you know, life. Yeah. And I hear this. Um, not uncommonly, this, uh, it just fell into place for me. I mean, I don't know, it just, it, you know, the things were there and I was there and... I mean, it's hard work. It, I don't, I did, uh, that does not diminish but the... Right. absolutely, it, it's a miracle, you know, when I look back. But you're right, everything did, and it's the people you meet. Not only did I have great support from my mom and dad, but another adult, and, and uh, the best dance teachers. I mean, my tap teacher was Gene Kelly's tap teacher. Oh my goodness! So uh, my other, my jazz teacher was the choreographer, as I mentioned, from the Kenley Players. Right. And so going to the Kenley Players is where I met Tommy Toon. Oh my goodness! And Tommy Toon became my mentor for the next 23 years. So right. I mean, it's just right. Kids ask me, "How do you get into the business?" <laughs> I, and the truth is, you just pursue your path. And for every artist, there is a different path. So there's not just one way of doing it. That's the beauty of it. Right. And also, the complication of it is the that you can't say to anybody how it's done. No, you <laughs> really can't. No, and you, you can't say how it will happen for you if it's going to happen. And no, that's what's that's so exactly difficult right. for people, I think. No, it's, it's also why I feel such a responsibility when I discover new talent or young talent. I try to uh, do what I can to pay back. 
because Tommy was so good to me. And in this business, you learn from your mentors. I mean, this is a business that you have to see it and study it to learn it. You can't just watch movies and watch TV. You have to be part of the process. Right. And that's what I was. You know, Tommy at the time was sort of the king of Broadway. Uh, it was the 80s, and he was really on top. And I got, you know, firsthand to watch him create original musicals. But you see... And you can't learn that in college or out of books. No, you know, but, but, but what he saw in you... This is, you're saying what you saw in him, but what I'm thinking is what he saw in you. And what he saw in you Another was... Another tall, skinny, white tap dancer. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh. No, he saw the DNA. Yeah, I you think know, that's he probably said, That's true. what I think it is. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, he saw that I have to do this. I will do this. Yeah. You know, and that's, um, it's irresistible. That's what I think. So, okay, so uh, where did you find Tommy? At the Kenley Players. Huh? He was doing the leading player in Pippin. Uh-huh. And I was in the ensemble. And because I was the tallest one, Equity says, our union says, that every part has to have an understudy. So they made me Tommy's understudy. Now... I was 16 years old. There was no way I was going on <laughs> right, as a leading right, player, right, you know. Right. But I had to do understudy rehearsals, and I was the closest one to fitting into his costume. <laughs> so I got that job. Yet and again. because I was understudy, I think there was a special bond between us, and just the proximity of having to learn his part and always watching him because I was the understudy. That we became, you know, fast friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was the most exotic creature I had ever, you know, being a kid from Pittsburgh, I'd never met anybody that looked or acted like Tommy. Right. You know, he was very... Well, now, you're not a... I mean... He's, no, Tommy was very exotic. But not just I'm to not a kid really from Pittsburgh. not really exotic, yeah. You I was know. a football player, you know, quarterback, Midwestern, you know, tap dancer. Tommy was very exotic. I remember at the pool, uh, he had silver toenails. And for a six, that was a lot. That was a little freaky for kids. <laughs> it's like, do you know that your toenails are going to Of course you did. It's quite an education at 16. Let me yes. tell you. Yeah. But the best thing that ever happened to me, and next to my parents, he's the most influential adult uh, in my life. Yeah. But again, Meant come on. You know how many people, you know, ran into Tommy Toon and became his under... I mean, it's just, right. no. you know, I mean, it's really, it's beautiful. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So... You're 16, and Tommy becomes your mentor. So, you know. So I would, I wouldn't, the Kennedy players always did, you could be in four shows a summer. I could never do the fourth show because I had to get back to football practice. But then once I hurt myself in football, I had my knee bent backwards. Then I became drum major. But I still had to miss the fourth show because then I had to go back for band practice. So I only did three shows a summer, but for three years. And then it was after my first... Then I went to Northwestern, where I was in all their shows as That's a freshman. Uh, liberal arts. They, they wouldn't let you declare as a freshman, so it was just ah. a basic liberal arts courses. Um, but I choreographed a show there, too, um, which was fun, which they said a freshman had never done before. But since I was already a professional for three years, they let me do it. And then I remember I was to I was going to come back the next year as a what would be your second year in college as a sophomore, sophomore. and I was going to direct Seesaw with Jane Atkinson. But I never went back because that's when Tommy called me and my parents and asked if I would travel in a show called The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, starring Alexis Smith. And after much debate and conversation, they acquiesced and they allowed me to leave college to tour with the Whorehouse. Wow. 
And I, as long as I promised that when the tour ended, I would go back to college. <laughs> well, I, at the time, I think I really oh, meant, meant it. it. I didn't mean it at the time. But there was no, once I got a taste of that, and it seemed silly to go back to school to learn to do what, what you were already doing. Right. Do. <laughs> so that was really it. And then it just went, went from there. And I was uh, in the chorus of many shows. And then, you know, I was in... Seven Brides for Seven Brothers on Broadway, and they let me actually have a few lines. Uh-huh. And then, uh, once again, it was Tommy Toon, who did a show with Twiggy called My One and Only. Mm-hmm. And he was going to take two weeks off to go put together the national tour of another Broadway show he directed called Nine. Mm-hmm. And so he asked me to replace him oh for those goodness. two weeks on Broadway. Uh-huh. Now, the show had won Best New uh, Musical, the Tony Award. He had won the Tony for Best Actor in a Musical. He had won the Tony for Best Director of a Musical, and he had won the Tony for the Best Choreographer of that show. And I was going to replace him. <laughs> it was frightening. It was absolutely frightening. And, um, but that was thrilling. And at the end of those two weeks, I married Twiggy 16 times. I got to dance with Honey Coles. I don't know if you know yeah, Honey Coles. Yeah, I do. I absolutely That do. was probably the highlight of my performing career, was doing that uh, Act Two tap number with Honey Coles 16 times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew at the end of those two weeks, Chances were, even though it went well, the odds were I was not going to take the final bow in a Broadway show for quite some time, if ever again. And so I closed the door on performing, went out on a high, and went, okay, it's time now for me to pursue my choreographing career. And that's what I did. I moved to L.A., and I took any dinner theater job, any benefit job. Unfortunately, AIDS had just come in. Um, I remember the first time they even printed the word AIDS in the New York Times. And there was a benefit in California at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, and it was called a Hollywood Salute to Broadway. And they asked me to direct this benefit. And Bob Hope was our, our um, host, the surgeon C. Everett Koop, if you remember him. He was there. And we, had the, we reunited the original cast of Chorus Line, every one of them, in the original costumes. We got the original Dreamgirls. Now, you mind me, these shows had just, you know, were... It wasn't like 40 years ago. They they were still hot. And Michael Bennett had just passed away from AIDS. Mm -hmm. So it was very profound to have the chorus line people there. And Tommy Toon came out and and did a number and Sandy Duncan. And it was just a star-studded event. And that really launched me directing. And I feel badly that it was on the back of AIDS. But it was the first AIDS benefit uh, west of the Mississippi. And it was a big hit. And then I got a phone call from a gentleman named Alan Carr. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember Alan Carr. Uh, very big, uh, great raconteur, but he was a really uh, an empresario of sorts. He discovered the uh, village people and Bruce Jenner and uh, Alan Carr is a remarkable man. Anyway, he called me because he was doing a benefit at the Hollywood Bowl called Broadway at the Bowl, and he asked me if I would direct it. And still, I'm in my 20s, so this is a very exciting thing. And that that was Placido Domingo was our host, and I had Mary Martin and Placido and Act One singing some enchanted evening. Uh, you know, it was B. Arthur and Yvette DiCarlo. I mean, Yvonne DiCarlo and uh, Patty Lapone, Carol Channing. It was a Tommy Tune again. It was just I was so blessed. And that went well, too. So all of a sudden, I just started getting calls to do these benefits. So I really learned a lot about directing, doing benefits, and recreating my one and only in dinner theaters and regional theaters up and down the coast of California because they would hire me because I knew the original blocking and choreography. Right. So that's what they were hiring. Right. But because, you know, the cast is different and each theater is slightly different, you kind of 
direct, although you're stealing. I basically stole Tommy's work, but then started to give it my own little flair, and that was sort of the beginnings of it. And it just, and Tommy watched. He flew out. Tommy, this is how supportive he was. He flew to California, and not only were he in these benefits for me, but he watched every show that I choreographed and directed. And after, I don't know, three or four years of that, he said, I think you're finally ready. I'm doing a show called The Will Rogers Follies, and Cy Coleman is writing the music, and uh, Betty Comden and Adolph Green are doing the lyrics, <laughs> and Peter Stone is writing the book, and would you come be my associate choreographer? I said, sure, I have nothing, I have nothing better to do. And my job on that show, because Tommy, you know, new musical, Tommy was really busy working with the creatives the writers. Mm -hmm. And so my job was to create dances that looked like Tommy Toon choreographed them. Right. And he reminded me that usually when he choreographs a show, he wins the Tony for it. <laughs> and there was my assignment. <laughs> so create dances that I'll be proud of and I can win the Tony for? Yeah. You want to know what? That's what? exactly what happened. Oh my God. That's exactly what happened. And because that happened, thank God it happened, yes. because that launched, you know, my career no in the kidding. big time. Because no had I not delivered there, I don't know what would have happened. But he must have known you would. So, so yeah, so that was... Uh, this is an amazing story. story. Yeah. I haven't, yeah, I haven't thought about those stories or talked about them out loud for a long time, if ever, actually. It's interesting to think about your past, isn't it? Yes. Or to be old enough to have a past. Well, when did that happen? Well, when did I become <laughs> old enough to have a past? Holy cow. <laughs> Okay, but it's a perspective, right? Yeah. Is what it is. Okay, so when was this, and what happened after that? Well, that was 1991, mm -hmm. and it won the Tony in 1992. Um, oh, and then the, the Weislers, uh, famous Broadway producers, were going to revive a little-known show called Grease, <laughs> and starring Rosie O'Donnell. It was going to be her Broadway debut, and they asked Tommy to direct it. Well, it wasn't really Tommy's taste, let's just say that, mm -hmm. you know, and he goes, you know, Grease, I don't, yes, directing a revival of Grease is not really right for me. However, I have groomed this kid who is ready, his name is Jeff Calhoun, and I think he should direct the show. And so, um, that was sort of my directing debut, directing Grease. And Tommy was sort of the insurance policy. Right. So if it wasn't working, or if there was trouble, right. Everybody they, they could, could bring in Tommy and he would come right. in. But, uh, and he was very instrumental in helping us design the show. But then he went away and he came back, I think it was dress rehearsal, and saw the show and gave some notes, very good notes, and, uh, and so that was, that launched my real directing career on Broadway. Yeah. Good grief. Yeah. It's a long the, time ago. It's an extraordinary, I mean, it's like, it's a one leap to another leap to another leap. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, or one hurdle and hurdle another hurdle. Because <laughs> each time you start a show, I feel like you're climbing Mount Everest. Because you're starting from zero. You don't know what you know. You're like, oh my God, it's insurmountable. And then one step at a time, and then you're on top of it looking down going, wow. Wow. And then you think it gets easier. Doesn't. It doesn't. Does it get harder? Each time, no. But each time, it's as difficult. Because each time you're starting, even though you have more experience, I'm sure athletes would say the same thing. Does it get easier, even though you're a pro, to, to play on Sundays? I think it's just as hard every time. You know what to expect, but you still sweat as much. You still have to yeah. use as much muscle. You still... 
Actually, no, I think that it's they're, they're, the same. I was actually thinking there that it might be harder in the sense that you have this, you have something to continue proving. I mean, do you know what I mean? Well, it's harder if you're like a Tommy Tune and you're on top. Right. It's hard to stay there. Yes. Because what are and the, the chances that everything you do right. is a masterpiece? No, that's right. And the pressure... So that's a different league. I've never been in that league, so I don't know. You, know, I don't you mean have not to, yet? I don't have to you know, stay on top. That's <laughs> one advantage of not being on top. I don't have to stay there. I can stay right in the middle. But um, no, it's not easier and it's not hard. Each one of them is really different. And you're, there's fear. Each time you go through the same process, you know, you're afraid, oh my God, can I do this? Is it going to be any good? Because your worst nightmare is that an audience just sits there and just hates it. Yeah. And you, you know, you work just as hard on flops as you do hits. Of course. You know, so... Uh, so have you had but any flops? it doesn't flops? get easier. Oh, I've had... You, you can't be... You can't call yourself a professional if you haven't had flops. I've been lucky. I've seen it at the top. You know, I've had shows that have won Tony Awards. And then I've had shows that have opened on a Thursday and closed on a Sunday. Really? Yeah, that's oh, that the nature. It is devastating because you've spent years on that show. Right, right. Uh, there's a show very dear to my heart called Brooklyn mm -hmm. that I loved so much that I not only directed it and choreographed it, but I produced it. Oof. And I'll never do that again either. Right. You know, because uh, it ran nine months. We had a tour, but the critics were not kind. And therefore, you know, the entire capitalization was lost. And I just couldn't take that family and friends lost that kind of money. Right. Because I really believed I was doing everyone a favor. Right. I was sure this was the next rent. Right. I was positive. It shows you what I know, you know. Wow. God, so it was it devastating, is. yeah. At the, at the time, it was a six and a half million dollar musical. And uh, it lost every, every dime. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, no, you have flops, absolutely. I've also been called in to shows that were in trouble that ultimately became flops as a show doctor. So there's also <laughs> that way to have a flop. Boy, it's not your flop. Right? Not that's boy. I know that Yiddish word. Yeah, right. No. Yeah, right. I've had a lot of old you know, I don't like to talk about those because those were other people's expense and their dreams yeah. that I tried to help make right. better, but it was their dream. Well, you know, I think, I think that there's just no way to know when a thing is going to be what no, I you don't know. And you get too close. You know, when you fall in love with something, it's like, it must be like children. Yes. You know, you're so close to them, you don't really see it for what it is. Because you love them unconditionally, and that's how I am with my shows. And it's not for me to judge it. I have to just love it and do the best I can. And hopefully the audience will see like your like child it. the way you right. do. <laughs> right. You know, it doesn't always work that way, but that's all you can hope for. It takes me usually three times to feel like, okay, this is the best it can be right now. But that's what's be beautiful and painful about this business is you can create a show, and like Grease ran four years on Broadway, and every time I went back to watch it, I was in a different place in my life. So I always wanted to keep changing it, but you can't. It's what it is, and you send it out in the world. And it's working. And you go, right, and right. it's working. <laughs> right. It ain't broke. But it's so hard for me because, you know, your work only reflects where you are in life at that moment. Yes. And so as you change, of wow. course, to go back and see something you did years ago is difficult. For me, anyway. Tell me about Music Man. I like to call it the all tap dancing Music Man. Mm -hmm. When Michael said his only slot available be his slot where he had to do an American classic. I said Music Man very quickly, but I did have uh, two prerequisites. One is I wanted the show to be all tap dance. And secondly, Noah Racy had to be available and interested. He's so busy now. He's become a professor. So he's actually Professor Noah Racy playing <laughs> Professor Harold Hill.
He was born to play this role. Just every day sitting in rehearsals, I'm just in awe watching him. It's really a joy. And it's a joy to be surrounded by material that's just fun and happy. Yes. You know, I mean, I love Bonnie and Clyde, but, you know, we had sociopaths murdering people. Right, and, you right, know, right, Newsies right. was the, you know, source of right, right, starting right. a union at the turn of the century. Right. It's this crazy man that comes into the small town that needs hope, so they're vulnerable, and he seduces them and cons them. He just does it with tap dancing and a great <laughs> sense of humor. And he changes them, and they change him. Yeah. This musical is not done that much. Is it? There's the original Broadway production. Right. Then Susan Stroman, she did the revival on Broadway. She made some adjustments that were embraced by the uh, estate, Meredith Wilson. And um, then there's the film. So I tried to take all three versions and do my due diligence and make this an amalgamation of what I thought was the best of all of them. And I do have the blessing of um, MTI and the estate, so we're very excited about that. This was my next question, that you ran all those, que all, all those changes by the people who have the right to say yes or no. Well, you have to do that. You have to respect that. We didn't change a word. Mm -hmm. It was mostly the order of the storytelling. Can you give me an example? Well, in the original Broadway production, Shapoopy uh, opens the second act, but then it leaves the rest of the act without a production number. And it felt a little lopsided, and so we moved it and we put it a little later in the show. And ah. We have it, I think, in the same position that Susan Stroman has it in, but that caused a whole domino of effect. Yeah, you had to change everything to make it fit. Every, yeah. But Susan did most of that heavy lifting. She, I think Susan's work went a long way in making the second act more of an entertainment than the original was. Wow. Okay, so I can't imagine that there's anybody who hasn't seen Music Man, but maybe you just want to do a short precis of what they might expect. Well, they, they should expect to tap their toe <laughs> for, at least for two hours to laugh to reminisce about music, almost every song they will recognize, even yeah. if they couldn't name it before the show started. Mm -hmm. um, this Harold Hill is a hustler, mm -hmm. and he comes into this small town, and he pretends to, that he can teach music, so he swindles people out of their money, uh, telling them he's going to sell them instruments and band uniforms, but he doesn't know a lick of music. <laughs> and of course, the band uniforms and the horns and the instruments show up, mm -hmm. And that seemed to be enough to bring hope and joy back into this town because they saw that, you know, the kids had a passion for something again. The fact that he really couldn't teach them music, but he used something called the think system where he convinced them if they would just think the notes, they could play the songs. But during, during those two and a half hours where that happens, he falls in love. And it's a bit cliche, but love does conquer all. Mm -hmm. And as you said earlier in the interview, both people are the better for it. The town has come to life, and he's had redemption from his evil ways yes. because of the power of Marion the librarian. And let me tell you about her. Marion, you know, when you have Noah Racy playing Harold Hill, it's very hard to find a leading lady that has the gravitas to be opposite Noah. Right. And this young woman walked in, her name is Brittany Coleman, and not since Sutton Foster walked into an audition for me over 20-something years ago was I so excited about somebody's audition. Wow. She's beautiful. She's this gorgeous soprano. But she's also as fine an actress as she is a singer. Wow. 
and it was quite a find. And we're lucky because she's in Tootsie. And Tootsie just finished their out-of-town in Chicago, and then they open on Broadway, and we have her just in that um, downtime for her. So we were very lucky to, to find her and that she was available. The cast is great. And you know, there's a barbershop quartet. The other night we did one of the events here where we went to a donor's home and did a couple of the numbers. And as soon as you hear, you don't hear a barbershop quartet anymore. <laughs> and it sounds corny, but they open their mouths and you just melt. You're like, I remember when entertainment was that artistic. You know, where they're just melodies that make you happy and good voices singing them. Chapel bell chime, ding dong ding, at the least suggestion, I'll pop the question, light a rose, I'm home again, rose, without a sweetheart to my It's a real honor to show business. Much the way Pulse was just an honor to the song and dance man, yeah. this is just really, I'm trying to honor the great people that came before us that just knew how to put on music, American musical theater. I try to pay back with what I learned about storytelling in the 21st century, so it won't feel like it's old fashioned, but we not, did not change a note or a word that um, Meredith Wilson wrote. But somehow it feels incredibly Present. I just love that people still love going to the theater. Every day at 10 o'clock I come into rehearsal and then I'm reminded when I'm there, the, the power and how infectious live theater is. Love and hope and the possibility of redemption and the mm -hmm. possibility of being more than you thought you were. Mm -hmm. That doesn't go out of style. Yeah. It's those things that make life worth living. I think, of course, mm -hmm. that's a personal point of view. Mm -hmm. No, it's a good one. I like it. You, you said it masterfully. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you. No. Thank you. No, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I've been doing this since I was nine years old, and I'm trying to keep the same imagination that I had when I was nine, ten, and eleven, where you didn't know what you couldn't do. So anything was possible. 
because look at the imagination of children. That's why adults melt when they're in the presence of children. I think we're in awe of that imagination and I think my job as a director is to put that on stage so the adults feel that awe and wonder again of imagination. You know, I think that's the perfect place to stop. Well, thank you. I always love talking to you. So, he wants to take everything that he has learned and put it on the stage for us to melt. <laughs> of course, when you listen to Jeff, you actually know what it sounds like to be the person you really are. This is a man who is moment to moment his real self. And it is my hope that when you listen to him, you are asking yourself, is this how I feel about my life? Is this how I feel about what I do in my life? Am I as connected to the life I am living as Jeff is clearly connected to his? And if for some reason you are not, it is my hope that you have not given up hope and that you are continuing to look for and pursue the person you really are. As always, I hope you got something you can use from this show. A pool table, don't you understand? Friend, either you're closing your eyes to a situation you do not wish to acknowledge, or you are not aware of the caliber of disaster indicated by the presence of a pool table in your community. Well, you got trouble, my friend. Right here, I say trouble right here in River City. Why, sure, I'm a billiard player, certainly mighty proud to say I'm always mighty proud to say it. I consider that the hours I spend with a cue in my hand are golden. Help you cultivate horse sense and a cool head and a keen eye. Did you ever take and try to find an ironclad lead for yourself from a three-rail billiard shot? But just as I say, it takes judgment, brains, and maturity to score in a balk line game. I say that any boob can take and shove a ball in a pocket. And I call that sloth the first big step on the road to the depths of degradé. I say first, medicinal wine from a teaspoon, then beer from a bottle. And the next thing you know, your son is playing for money in a pinchback suit. And listening to some big out-of-town Jasper, hearing him tell about horse race gambling. Not a wholesome trotting race, no, but a race where they set down right on a horse. Like to see some stuck-up jockey boy setting on Dan Patch. Make your blood boil? Well, I should say. Now, friends, let me tell you what I mean. You got one, two, three, four, five, six pockets in a table. Pockets that mark the difference between a gentleman and a bum with a capital B, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool. And all week long, your River City youth will be frittering away. I say your young men will be frittering. Frittering away their noontime, suppertime, chore time, too. Get the ball in the pocket. Never mind getting dandelions pulled or the screen door patched or the beach tape pounded. Never mind pumping any water till your parents are caught with a cistern empty on a Saturday night, and that's trouble. Yes, you got lots and lots of trouble. I'm thinking of the kids in the knickerbocker, shirt-tailed young ones, peeking in the pool hall window after school. You got trouble. Folks right here in River City, Trouble with a capital T and that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. Now I know all you folks are the right kind of parents. I'm going to be perfectly frank. Would you like to know what kind of conversation goes on while they're loafing around that hall? They'll be trying out Bevo, trying out Cubabs, trying out tailor-mates like cigarette fiends, and bragging all about how they're going to cover up a telltale breath with Sen Sen one fine night. They leave the pool hall, heading for the dance at the armory. Libertine men and scarlet women and ragtime. Shameless music that'll grab your son, your daughter, with the arms of the jungle, animal instinct, masteria. Friends, the idle brain is the devil's playground. Trouble. Oh, right here in River City. Right Where the capital T and that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. That stands for pool. We've surely got trouble. We've surely got trouble. Right here in River City. Right here. Gotta figure out a way to keep the young ones moral after school. Our children, children, gonna have trouble. Mothers of River City, trouble, 
Heed that warning before it's too late. Watch for the telltale signs of corruption. The minute your son leaves the house, does he rebuckle his knickerbockers below the knee? Is there a nicotine stain on his index finger? A dime novel hidden in the corn crib? Is he starting to memorize jokes from Captain Billy's whiz-bang? Are certain words creeping into his conversation? Words like, swell, and so's your old man. Well, if so, my friends, you got trouble. Oh, we got trouble. Right here in River City. Right here in River City. Where the capital T and that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. That stands for pool. We've surely got trouble. We've surely got trouble. Right here in River City. Right here. Remember the main Plymouth Rock and the Golden Rule. That's your children gonna have trouble. Oh, we got trouble. We're in terrible, terrible trouble. That game with the 15 numbered balls is a devil's tool. Devil's tool. Oh, yes, we got trouble, trouble, trouble. Oh, yes, we got trouble. With a T, got a rhyming with P, and that stands for pool. You see, I'm getting older. My hair is turning gray. Oh, you see my face and figure. No, I will not go gentle into that good night. I won't go with a whimper. I am going with a bang. Life's a song I keep on singing, not a tune that I once sang. I just keep returning like some goddamn Let someone else get on Well, I, I won't be relegated Or leave without a fight No, I will not go gentle Into that good night I may not be as juicy, hell, but I 
still got some tang So you won't hear me simper I may have gotten 